welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Chuck Haradeep Chinnakonda Chandran, Sonia Koptayev, Jeremy Paik, Andrew Connell, Jim Epes, Chris Johnson, Richard Dysriga. Okay, welcome to episode 59. We are in a really interesting setup this morning. I've got Jason sitting opposite my desk in the office wearing a headset, and I'm wearing a headset. And then we have Dizzy remotely with a headset too. You guys are the, the type that go to like a bar and and text message each other like right across the table from each other right we snapchat via image photos only yeah it, it, especially when it's just the two of us if it was more <laughs> if it were, there were like five people there we wouldn't want to be rude but if it's just the two of us then that's fine so nice nice love it how'd you like that intro jeremy which one you have no clue what i'm talking about but uh it's my prank for you this week and it's gonna be awesome oh no well i've i figured you may have already forgotten that um i'd found that snippet audio and I'm going to play it right now for the audience to hear. So Rich always gives me grief on how I present his name, and it's Dezeriga. Did I get that right? That's still not right. Seriously. <laughs> Dezeriga. Dezeriga. Okay. But anyway, so someone else totally pulls it up too. So um, <laughs> I think Rich may have just messed it up, actually. <laughs> yeah, he met much Isn't it Smith? Name. I thought it was pronounced Smith. No? That's close, but uh, no. So anyway, so we're going to play this now, and uh, this is Benjamin, who's also in DX, and he did this at Tech Ready a few weeks ago, and I finally got around to cutting out the audio, so just let me play it. Um, Richard DiZaguerra, um, he's done uh, great work providing a, you know, a template apps that really bring to light the value of the integration in, into the, the different uh, office endpoints. So he did give you a compliment and tell you you were doing good work, but he really did pulls up your name. D D Diza Guerra. <laughs> well, it's okay. I'm sure our listeners much more enjoyed that entertaining intro to the podcast this week that uh, Jeremy knows nothing of because we are pre-recording this. I, I feel out of the loop. I feel like you might have gone behind my back to our producer to get some stuff edited in. I may have done that. <laughs> I do not trust you right now. That's not cool. Well, you'll just have to be surprised, won't you? Brothers at arms. <laughs> so, so anyway, this week's been a big week. We shipped a new getting started experience on dev.office.com. Have you had a chance to play with it, Rich? I love it. It's like the biggest feedback we've gotten going around the world talking to developers is how horrible the getting started experience was you know one thing is provisioning a tenant but then you had to go in and try to get it associated with azure in some sort of way and and now we've we've really made it easy just go into one page register an app and and go to town yeah it's so cool to be able to just go in and pick add-ins or apis and then go through and you know, sign in with your Azure AD credentials, which is your Office 365 user account. And, and essentially then the nice bit is, is it will go and create you a client ID and secret if you need it. And then when you download the sample, it's already laced that client ID in and secret into the project. So I can go grab a Python project and it's all pre-configured. Then I just have to run it in a web server. And then when I run it up, the first time it runs a demo, it's going to ask you to consent for the permissions for that app to access your tenant and you're away and running. So it's just the lowest touch way of someone playing with our APIs or our add-ins, which is really, really neat. Yep. 
So that that was work done by it was it's it's been a long ongoing thing with bunches of different teams involved and feedback from MVPs and ISVs and DX and our immediate team and engineering and content publishing and so it's a really big achievement to get out the door. So a big congratulations to everyone that's involved in that one. And that's not me opening a beer, that is me opening a can of coke. It's too early for beer. Sonia and I did a dev show on Channel 9 for the hackathons. Uh, we were talking about uh, the, actually we demoed the Yeoman generator that we've talked about in the show before. So the command line ability to kind of go yo space, office add-in, and then uh, select a mail add-in, and then select I want it in read and compose, and then it will go and generate the scaffolding for either a standalone Angular application or Ruby or Python or PHP or whatever language you want to build an office add-in in without any dependency on Visual Studio. So um, we, we did a hackathon video there to talk about the hackathons that are coming up in dev intersections in Amsterdam at the end of October and also in um, November in Stockholm at uh, SharePoint Europe where Jeff Teeper is now doing the keynote. Yeah, you guys got quite a, a showing that's going to go over there. That's um, going to be SharePoint mania. I can see T-shirts being ripped off and thrown on stage. It'll uh, be pretty scary. Yep, yep. And um, then we've got Angular Connect straight um, after the dev uh, intersections of Amsterdam in London, which is going to be for the Angular audience. That'll be a bit of fun too. So there's a, some cool hackathons going on, and we're just wrapping up TechCrunch Disrupt in San Francisco, which you're going to go through, go to, right? Because I'm going to be in Australia at that time. That's right. Yeah, big week in San Francisco. There's uh, the big Salesforce conference, Dreamforce, which is like insanely large apparently. I haven't been before. This will be my first year. And then uh, TechCrunch right after that. Yeah. So we're hacking, hacking, hacking away. I'm just about to put a page live for our new community swag box. Jason, you can see the swag box at the back here, the big cube. That is a very large cube. Yeah. We're going to be shipping those to any user group uh, that wants it. It'll have dev.office.com hoodie in it, as well as T-shirts, mugs, pin badges, not just the unicorn with a ninja cat on it sticker, but our agave ninja cat with a bazooka on his shoulder sticker. I did not know those were actually made. I've seen like rumor of them, but if I if I walk you around um, building thirty five, there's they all of there's a called an agave avenue, which is where all the add in engineers are, and uh, they all have the sticker on the the walls. Uh, you've got one, right, Rich? I do, yeah. I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, there was a limited edition one. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to be giving out these swag boxes. And so there'll be a page on dev.office.com coming live very soon. Um, you'll be able to basically find this unique email address. You can email with your name and address, and we will ship those to you wherever you are in the world. There are some other special things in there, like a Jambox speaker, which has got dev.office.com engraved on it. There's some cool stuff going out with that, which is neat. That's awesome. And then my second most favorite news outside of all that is Boomerang, Uber, PayPal, and anyway, there was one other one that I haven't obviously used enough to remember it, but Boomerang is by far my favorite add-in now. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. The whole sharing of the calendar. Oh, I'm using it all the time where I'm speaking to ISVs and external people getting feedback off them and they don't know when to put an invite my calendar because they can't see my calendar. I just go to Boomerang and inject, you know, based on the days I want to show them and what times of the day. So it does what Outlook does out of the box, which just gives you a lot more flexibility and granularity in what you share, which is awesome. As well as the feature of uh, remind me in X days if no one replies to this conversation. So if I send an email to Richard going, Richard, I need your 
uh, expense is complete by the end of the week and Richard doesn't respond, uh, Boomerang will send me an email reminding me that I haven't had a reply to that thread. So there's some really cool features in Boomerang and it's available now in the store. If you're using Office 2016 Preview on the desktop, you actually get a adding command in the ribbon. So when I'm in a new mail, rather than having to go uh, insert add-in and then pick the add-in from the pop-up dialog window, you just click the Boomerang button and it will show the task pane straight away. And the same with Uber and same with PayPal. So um, it's really cool to see that stuff going live in, in the store and have preview capability built into it. So go check out those add-ins. It sounds like the functionality that we got in the uh, Accompli or Outlook app for the iPhone a while back. It's that very was true. the thing that we all wanted. Now we actually get, you're telling me, in both Outlook 2016 and in, I'm guessing, OA? Uh, and and OA, yep. And then wow. eventually it will be in OA on the mobile as well. So it's in Outlook Online now in the browser, yep. Very nice. For those businesses that like mine that block you from being able to use Outlook, uh, the uh, the mobile app, that's really nice that, uh, that we have another way of getting that functionality. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that, you know, through the store, it'll be, a, that'll start encouraging people to go and check out what other add-ins are in there as well for normal users that maybe didn't think they needed add-ins before. I think this one's a killer one. Did you hear about my, uh, my, my killer a mail add-in idea for you, Jeremy? Which one was that? It's a, it's a name pronunciation app. We're going to add that to the hackathon seed list idea. I already built it. What? I built it. Totally. We're, we're shipping it. Yeah, it uses Project Oxford, which is part of the uh, really cool set of APIs we did through, uh, you know, data science. Didn't it totally, didn't it munge your name though? No, it does good. No, hang on a minute. Let me just play this WAV file. Chakaradeepchandakonda Chandran, Sonia Koptayev, Jeremy Fake, Andrew Connell, Jim Epes, Chris Johnson, Richard Dysriga. That's not bad. It did better around mine than Jim Epps. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Epps. <is. laughs> well, I, I, what was even Sonia's? That was all butchered as well. I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't bad. But what the hell is Project Oxford? Oh, uh, really? You don't know? You need to no. go check out Project Oxford. It's okay. a it's a set of um, uh, basically it's a set of machine learning al algorithms that we've created APIs for that do facial recognition, text, like audio transcription and things like that. So the howl.net and twins or not, they were all built on Project Oxford. Uh, okay, that's cool. I wonder if it'll be able to determine between Himmelstein and Himmelstein because, you know, 80% of the people out there still get that one wrong on me. So <laughs> is there a flag you can set for proper pronunciation in the, uh, in the app? I think whatever it pronounces is right. So you have to, <laughs> whatever you thought your name was pronounced from then on, it's whatever this app says. I, I, I need to go hack that API and get Smith to replace uh, this haircut. <laughs> So um, the community has been blogging a storm as well this week. Again, I'm loving the amount of activity. It's um, it's great to see people kind of the kid, they're sending their kids off to school and now they've got this spare time, I think is what's happening. Actually, you, you skipped my favorite announcement of last week. Which one was that? There were some amazing announcements last week, obviously. You've already mentioned a few, but one of the like most groundbreaking ones, in my opinion, is that we've we're starting to converge the Microsoft accounts with Azure Active Directory. So oh, yeah. if you've if you've ever used a, a typical Office 365 login screen, you know, one of the things you'll notice is um, when you type in an email address, it looks like it's thinking for a second. Um, and it actually is. In the past, it was looking to see if um, you use a federated login. If so, it'll go take you to your company's login page. 
In the future, it's going to also check to say, hey, did they just enter in a, a, a Microsoft, like a live type of account, like an Outlook.com or a Hotmail? And if so, it's going to take you there and you'll be able to have this one consolidated login experience. And in the future, you know, we're hoping to have APIs that support wherever you get your token from. So we've already done a little bit of that with things like OneDrive. Yeah, and the um, Outlook guys are pushing pretty hard. They've got some blog posts around this as well and some code samples there. We're actually, I've drafted up a blog post around this converged authentication as well, what, what our vision is on getting coverage across the other products that we have with our APIs and when we're looking to target things like the unified API supporting converged auth for instance. So um, we're getting there with it. There's, um, It's going to be pretty cool to kind of get that story all complete. And it goes back to this point of, you know, rather than three-year cycles of, da -da, here's everything done, you're seeing how the sausage is being made and how, you know, from a minimal viable product, we're releasing things as we feel like it's enough, knowing what the end game is, but it's just taken a few little skips to get there based on, like, getting the endpoints unified, and now we're going to get the auth unified across the two, too. So that's pretty cool. And then um, you pick one out. Yeah, I'll go bottom up here. So Andrew Connell, who's obviously uh, does a, a ton of things in the Office 365 development space, uh, he's been doing a, a blog series on Node.js development for .NET developers, which I think is, you know, that's my background. I, my, I've developed on a little bit of everything, but certainly have more background in, in .NET. And, you know, there's there are some interesting learnings. In fact, we were on a big rant today behind the scenes talking about, you know, it seems like as you go into Node and some of these other technologies, you start using more command lines as a developer. And is that better or is that worse? And ultimately, Andrew's put together a really good series that talks about kind of the workflow a developer goes through in putting together solutions. So it's not so much Office 365 specific, but you could certainly apply this as, as you're building you know, solutions around Office 365. Yeah, and then um, we, we've got a, this CSS burger menu in SharePoint. And now a burger menu, uh, obviously Americans live by burgers, so they know this what it is, but kind of that three icon stack that's inside SharePoint that is uh, an out-of-the-box navigation thing. And Stefan Bear, who's been around in the SharePoint world for a long, long time, um, God, that's making me hungry. Look at that photo too. That's a good photo. Now on a burger. See, I'm turning American. So he takes the top nav in a SharePoint team site and with CSS overrides, uh, with polyfill, hover, and JavaScript, um, is actually tweaking it so that it becomes into a burger menu. So and it's, he's touch-friendly and it's responsive on the screen. So that's really, really cool. So he's actually been working with uh, PMP to get that published in there as well, which is nice. So um, thanks for putting that one out there, Stefan. And then um, the other one, which is pretty cool, is Paul Andrew, who's in our team in marketing, TPM. Uh, Paul Andrew's been around the space for a while. He had a bit of a, a little uh, surge into, I think it was Windows Phone for a bit. But, you know, he, he's been in the SharePoint world for a long, long time. And he owned the dev stuff. He did what, I, what I'm doing now um, back in the 07, 10 days. So I gave him a lot of grief around our Visual Studio tooling back then, and we're all good friends now. But um, uh, he's looking after the Microsoft Cloud Solution Provider Program, CSP, the APIs. And he's put together a GitHub sample, 
um, there's a video that shows you how to do it, and um, it's all about kind of provisioning tenants and um, configuring the tenants based on you as a as a, a vendor being able to resell Office 365 to customers direct rather than you as a partner getting them to go get Office 365 and then come to you, um, which, funnily enough, is quite relevant for you, Jason, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what, what you, you work at Rackspace, so this is something you're actually one of those CSPs. Yes, we are. Uh, this is something we've been working on for a while. Uh, you know, I, I'm not on the team that actually is doing the, the back-end dev, not being a, a dev myself. Uh, I, I just pretend to have an understanding of what you crazy people do. Uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, the CSP program is pretty phenomenal for us. It allows us to you know, provision out and get our customers up and running, do you know, handle the billing and things of that nature, and make sure that uh, we're able to support them. We get things set the right way and uh, are able to properly support our end users and our customers, and you know, that's my world these days. Yeah, cool. So that's, that's getting some momentum now, and so Paul's kind of growing that space. And so if you're interested in the CSP program or you are in it, um, those APIs are now available. I'm sure Paul's channels of communication to the CSPs, they're more than already aware, but it's just something to be aware of out there if you're not in the CSP program. The other one that's been, that we're up to part three now around this STS, SAML claims, um, setup stuff. Bars Lichten, and again, I'm probably completely ruined his name, has been doing this series, and he's kind of taken over where Peshka would have probably been in this space. Um, we miss you, Peshka, but he's been writing up some articles explaining like Owen and how you can use the all the libraries and how you configure it in uh, web apps and stuff, and he has all the code there that does it. So that is well above my head, and I know I think Neil Hodgkinson does a good job of this stuff too, in, uh, who's a premier field engineer. Oh, well, sorry, he was a premier field engineer, and now he's in engineering. Um, so if you're looking to do on-prem stuff where you're looking at SAML and you want to run add-ins in SharePoint, that's definitely a good series of articles to go follow. And then um, another one which was really cool, uh, for anyone that's doing Yammer development, I didn't give him credit last time, and I'm going to call him a moral on purpose because he had a blog with a special name called Cloud Developer Space with no credit on who he actually is. And we had actually referenced his blog in a podcast just recently, and it turns out it's a good friend of mine in Australia, uh, Chris uh, O'Connor, who goes by Grumpy Wookie on Twitter. Um, he's been in the SharePoint space for oh, probably since I was in diapers. That's how old Chris is. And he's written up a documentation on creating a group in Yammer as another user based on the fact that it's not documented in the Yammer uh, documentation and it's not really a public API, but it's something that is available to you and you can um, you can certainly use it at your own risk. There's a there's a few scenarios in Yammer where there's APIs that if you use Fiddler and Sniff on the Yammer website, um, you can make these calls. And you've done a fair bit of that work as well, Rich, right? Oh yeah, creating groups in general was undocumented. I think it might be now, but I remember early, early before we even called it patterns and practices, we wanted to kind of show a pattern for creating a Yammer group instead of using the SharePoint newsfeed and um, you know, we went and kind of snipped around, figured out how to create the group and uh, put a Yammer embed on there. So, yeah, that's definitely something you could do. Be careful with it because, you know, they can always change stuff. But 
Yeah. Yeah. So that was um, so that was another one that came through today. And then you'd found another one this week as well that wasn't on my list. Yeah, there were there were a couple of interesting ones. Um, you know, we we actually did a blog post last week on building the new kind of Windows 10 universal platform applications connecting to Office 365. Um, and Corey Roth kind of followed that up with a little bit more of a interesting integration. He's actually calling into the new videos. Uh, Office 365 videos API from a Windows 10 UAP, so he's able to you know display videos and stream those from within a Windows 10 app. So that's really cool. And then Mark Rackley, the, the hillbilly, who has been on the show just recently, yeah, uh, the hill, the SharePoint hillbilly has created Hillbilly Tabs, which is a uh, really simple little JavaScript include that uh, will allow you to have you know tabbed web parts so you can have like maybe six web parts that all kind of take up one small space and uh, be able to toggle the visibility he even has some nice kind of fade in and fade out via you know some of the animated css or, or jquery so pretty cool post and actually i'll, I'll do a shout out for mark because i know he's been um, really working hard he's got a at sharepoint palooza coming up in september i think 18th and 19th in Branson, Missouri. So if you're around the area or you want a, a really cool SharePoint conference in the middle of nowhere slash music festival. Don't forget the slash music. It's the only one on the planet, man. SharePoint conference slash music festival. <laughs> it's it's going to be a great time. I'm going to be there. There you go. So for that reason alone, you guys should all go and uh, check it out. Um, it's one of the ones that I've I've been really wanting to go to. Unfortunately, there for where I'm at, there's not that many flights out to Branson. So a lot of the MVPs here in Dallas, they end up doing a caravan, which would be fun, but probably not going to make it this year. I think we're yeah. going to have to send some duct tape over to Shep's house and Wrap, uh, wrap Rich up and just drag him out to Branson with him. I'm actually going to be in Australia for my brother's wedding that weekend. Otherwise, I probably would have gone because last year was really good fun. It's just a nice way to kind of catch up with a bunch of speakers where you don't have as much commitment. Like Whereas when me and Rich go to shows, being Microsoft, we're really busy. So going back to these smaller shows where we're not running it and we're there for a session and that's it, it's actually quite nice to chill out and lay back at these ones. So... That's all the news for the week, which is a fair amount of chunk of 20 minutes, but that's good, and we encourage that, and it's great to see the community keep blogging. But the reason we wanted to get Jason on the show is, well, you're in town for a start. Yes. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself, just for those of you who don't know who Jim will, Jason Himmelstein is. <laughs> can we get can we get that automatically played, please? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was trying to use a Project Opera's voice. Yeah. So, yeah, my name is Jason Himmelstein. I am the Office 365 Advisory Services Manager for Rackspace. Been with Rackspace now uh, just over three months. Just finished moving to San Antonio, so back uh, being a reinstalled Texan. Um, of course, I haven't been there. I think I've been gone more than I've been home since we actually moved in. Uh, but that's okay, given the fact that it was 110 degrees last week. I think I'll be okay with that. Being out on the road right now, speaking at a bunch of different conferences, I'm here in uh, the Redmond, Seattle area, hanging out with you, getting to speak at a conference out here while I'm here, and then go off to Boston for another one next week, and then go out to SharePoint Alusa uh, following that. So, so hang on. So, SP TechCon is in Boston, is Boston next, next week. Next week. Okay. Next week. Wow. I'm home for a whole night with my family. It's going to wow. be awesome. Kids start school, and then I zip right back out. So, so Jason, you're you're a native Texan, though, right? Is that correct? Or you 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 went to UT, right? Uh, I worked at UT. I was uh, I was on staff at UT. No, I actually uh, AC and I grew up in the same town. We figured that out after a while. Uh, I, I'm actually a Jaguars fan. Uh, 
don't usually admit that on podcasts, but yeah, I, I grew <laughs> up in Jacksonville, Florida, did my formative years there and then became uh, a Texan after that and spent eight years in uh, the great state of New England. And uh, we recently just moved back to San Antonio and uh, the family is there now. It, uh, I get to go into Castle all the time, ride the slide at Rackspace. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. But uh, yeah, my, my background, I'm an IT pro by trade. I've uh, been falling in love with the cloud stuff. Uh, I spent enough time in the air, I may as well. So I've been doing a lot of the Office 365 Azure type of world and joined up Rackspace three months ago to run the advisory services group for Office 365. So that's my my world. Oh, and I'm a SharePoint MVP as well. So, And you, you know, I've seen you speak a bunch of times on Power BI at different conferences. And it was something that someone asked about, you know, what, what's Power BI mean for developers and ISVs and how can we leverage it? I know Rich is kind of the... You're like the prescribed guru, like you've done some stuff and everyone got all excited and now it just seems like all the questions come to you. So I figured getting both of you in here from two different perceptions of Jason not being a dev, but kind of understanding from an IT pro and an end user what Power BI means and then talking to Rich more about what the dev story is right now. And um, I noticed actually this morning I got an MSDN email saying that my subscription now means that I can sort of get in for Power BI, which is pretty cool. So do you want to have a crack, Jason, just what Power BI is and how, why you found that it's popular in like the business world? Sure. Let's uh, let's rewind the clock just a little bit, about four or five years. Um, BI has been something I've been interested in for a while. I worked at a defense contractor, and we did a lot of metrics and dashboards and all sorts of fun stuff and had to do it all manually. We had a bunch of developers writing code. And around about the time 2010 you know, was really in its, in its height, uh, we started seeing all sorts of great stuff coming out, Power Pivot. Power View all came out and we got very excited. It was the beginning of something really cool. And a buddy of mine, Dave Feldman, and I wrote a book uh, back then, just before 2013 came out, all about Power, you know, Power Pivot, Power View, and what you can do from a development perspective with BI. Sort of led the way in our mind towards where we are today, which uh, it's good to see what they're doing now with actually being the service uh, from a Power BI perspective, but it's empowering the user to be able to get to the data a lot easier, a lot faster, with fewer clicks and in a refreshable way. So when back in the day, it was really not something that was easily refreshable with uh, you know, 2010 coming out, we were, you know, anytime you tried to be in a claims-based environment, uh, none, of the power, none of the power tools worked, none of the BI functionality worked, and with 2013, that all started working again. But a lot of it ends up in Excel for the end user. They were doing the job. They were spending three weeks modifying spreadsheets and taking reports and scraping data and things that we could automate and you know pull the data properly and create a model and actually give them back that time and give it back to the business. So that was the beginning for me was looking at it and saying in the 2013 office stack, all this really cool stuff that we could do using the Power Pivot engine and writing a little bit of DAX, data analysis expression language and being able to model things properly. And we started to see PowerView pop in into Excel, and we could upload that into SharePoint on-prem or SharePoint online and actually have it all render properly. Uh, it was very exciting. Yeah. And now with the new service, we have, we have Power, Power BI. We had Power BI V1, which was all the Power Q&A and all of this great stuff that was intuitive kind of, but not really. But you published all of that you know, coming out of Excel, and now they actually have Power BI Desktop, which they're really trying to push us towards. And it's gotten a lot better. I was playing with it in the pre-betas, and it was not great, but we're yeah. getting much better now. We're getting full page filters where if I can actually go in and 
show a filtered view of data that I'm trying to look at and be able to have multiple pages that I'm clicking through of the dashboard that I want to see and be able to actually interact with it, change the filtering, all based upon a model that's created and is live refreshing as opposed to something that has to go off and be refreshed you know, manually. So I can still refresh manually from an on-prem data source, which is now something I am able to do. But if it's sitting up in Power BI, if it's sitting up in an external data source that's out in the cloud, I can actually go off and see some of that live. You know, the the, the stream analytics stuff that's out there that's pretty cool too, all the Azure stream analytics, really, really neat stuff. Uh, Dave and I are actually doing a session next week in Boston on uh, Power BI. We're going to be doing some of the Azure Stream Analytics, pulling some live Twitter feeds, uh, asking people in the audience to tweet for us, and it's all going to be changing the dashboard. We're going to show oh, how you wow. actually build that out. Dave, being the dev, is going to be doing all of that for us, so uh, definitely something worth checking out. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, you, you mentioned talking about a little bit about on-premises data sources. So I think that's one of the interesting advancements around Power BI you know, it's currently in its it's it, the modern form of Power BI. It's it's primarily a software as a service offering. So, how are customers able to use this to maybe get to some of their data that is locked behind a firewall? Well, there are really two ways. One is the enterprise data management gateway, which. Uh, the older version is still out there. I'm not sure if we've dropped the new version yet, if, if that's actually hit or not. I know they were working towards something uh, for a new version of that. But they now have the desktop version as well, which actually does go off and based upon your credentials, can go, if you have rights to the data, go pull the data and push it up to the cloud. Uh, so it's not bypassing the firewall. It's Well, it's bypassing the firewall, but uh, it's using your credentials and going off and pulling your data properly and pushing up into the cloud in the right way. Yeah, their website, so powerbi.microsoft.com, has come a long way since I last looked at this. Um, it's one of those kind of like scrolling one, scrolling brochureware ones. But what's really interesting, I didn't realize you just mentioned about the desktop app for Power BI. And there's app, mobile apps for Windows, iOS, and Android. And then you can connect to a bunch of different data sets. So when I think of BI, you know, the laggard, really, I haven't done much with BI since analysis services back when I was consultant in Australia, mm -hmm. where we were connecting to cubes directly because flat SQL tables weren't enough that you needed to be able to kind of subset that data in a different dimension. But the fact now that you can go and pull data from things like Marketo and from Twilio and UserVoice and Salesforce and Google Analytics, I can see that being really interesting for us to be able to kind of pull that data through, as well as the usual places like Azure SQL and data warehouses in Azure and um, even for kind of Exchange data or Excel data. What are you seeing customers, are they just kind of growing, just seeing that the whole business is as, as data and trying to mash them together now in Power BI? You know, customers nowadays are are seeing the rapid rate of change with BI. So, you know, in my world, I'm seeing customers sort of pumping the brakes just a little bit because things are getting so much better that yeah. they've made massive investments into these, you know, MDX cubes and all of this. And so they're looking at saying, where's Microsoft going next? And we're trying to, uh, those of us who are in the community, John White especially, what, he's whitepages.unlimitedviz.com. His blog is the one that I read to go and find out what the new thing happened yesterday that I didn't get a chance to read up on yet. But we're seeing customers sort of, you know, what I'm seeing customers do is almost pump the brakes just a little bit to try and wait and see what's dropping next because there's so much happening and the product, Microsoft is pushing out MVPs all the time, you know, minimum viable products, pushing out there, trying things out, seeing what people are going to take to and what they're not. So what we're seeing people do is try it out, see how it's, uh, see how it's doing, and then, you know, almost leaving it stagnant for a little bit and seeing what comes next. 
honestly, we're seeing that stuff come out from that team almost monthly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All the new drops that they're putting into Excel, into Power Query, which you know ultimately the the desktop application hopefully is going to get so much better that it'll replace that, and we won't be using Excel anymore. We'll just be using Power BI Desktop. But you know, there's still some gaps there. Uh, you don't have click through. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that. Uh, you know, I build a hierarchy in my in Power View in Excel. I'm able to go in and I do a Fitbit demo. And so being able to go in and say from year to month, month to you know, week, week to day, and be able to go in and throw slicers on a page and everything as well, that's not there in the Power BI desktop yet. It's one of those things that all of my customers that I've done BI for have wanted. Uh, so I have to imagine it's going to be high on the list of things that they're going to push out. Um, but you know, when customers get in and start playing with it and they're looking at it, there's going to be a shift for them. So what I'm seeing customers do at this point is still use the Excel model that they're used to. And with the latest 2016 release, they actually removed Power View from the ribbon. Uh, so you actually have to go in and add it in. You have to go in and uh, you know into the backstage and go in and add it in. I think John actually has a post about it on his blog. But you have to go and add that back in. So they've taken that away in 2016. Because they're trying to push you to the yeah yeah. And then so you know, business intelligence was a section of the pie in SharePoint in 2010 and 2013, I believe. Mm -hmm. And really, way BI was carved was. Uh, reporting services reports into a SharePoint page as a as a web part with it was kind of like baked in single sign-on assuming that you were running AD SSO on that IS website where reporting services was running. Which meant if you could get to the page you could see the report. Right so essentially it was just iframes mm -hmm. or there was Excel services which is an Excel like spreadsheet with a chart on it that was bound to data that was in a cube that could be run in Excel services in a browser, again, therefore in a SharePoint page as a Which web if you as well. could, But if you could open the workbook, you could see the data. Right. There was no sheet level, there was no section level security. And then the last one, you know, being performance point, which actually right. gave you that true uh, security model. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're trying to replace all of that using Power BI and we're getting closer you know, with the with the model that's out there and being able to truly lock down the data in the right way. Because a lot of users, a lot, a lot of companies don't want people to see data that they shouldn't be seeing. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, there's the idea with this, though, that it's not tied into, you're not going to see a dashboard in SharePoint. Power BI is the dashboard, and that's where you go for your data now, rather than kind of going into SharePoint and SharePoint being that page that you built your charts up on and binded them together. Yeah, and, and in you know, we're actually seeing Power BI show up in groups now as well. Oh, okay. So in, in, inside of Office 365 groups, that's where you're going to see your Power BI, you know, your PBIX dashboard, you know, showing up now. So we can have data group uh, for a particular group uh, that's only showing like the whatever dashboards they want to build in context of the group that they're a member of. Correct. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know we did even done that. There you go. So I've kind of had my blinkers on in the Power BI world. So so from a from that aspect. The one thing I've learned, and I've worked a lot with John White on this because we actually use Excel services and Power. I always get mixed up with all the different, it's like Power View and Power Pivot. And, um, he's built some charts for us where it pulls in that data from a SQL Online where it's getting the report data from Azure of who's downloading the podcast. So we can see unique visitors across the globe and um, we can see for each episode which one's the most popular and at what times of the year it's downloaded on a day-to-day -day basis. So I can drill down and see like what different social things are 
drawing attention to particular episodes. And right now I have to download all those like flat file logs, upload them to OneDrive, and then share them with John, and then John pulls that data into SQL and reports on them. But there's some stuff he's doing now where he can automatically go and fetch those flat files and pass them into um, Power BI automatically so my dashboards are live and instantaneous. So I think that's huge value there. But the biggest thing for me is that although they say, well, you know, once the charts are there, it's really easy for engineers to go in and start you know, creating their own charts in Power BI, I was pretty overwhelmed at trying to work out the different dimensions. sets, dimensions you have to create to then be able to produce your report you want. And the Q&A language kind of gets you a certain amount of the way, but you still need those dimensions there in the first place for Q&A. Yeah, you need to know which measures and dimensions you're going after in order to actually be able to deal with it. And that's why you know, an end user actually understands their data. Yeah. Uh, and I, I make a joke when I go out and present a lot of times, it's the old office space joke, is that you know at a certain point we have to actually go from the end user understanding what they're looking for and take that over to the, the data developer and say, this is what we need. And be able to actually uh, model it out correctly and give us the right SQL views so we can go off and pull that data right. or you know uh, go off and create the model so that when they, we can give it to them and they can go in and say, this is how I want to see my data. They slice, they dice, they julienne fries. It actually comes out the way they're looking for it because they understand what they're looking to do. Yeah. If we present the data to them and give them their measures in terms that they understand, they'll actually go off and do this stuff. And I've seen this happen in many companies where if you give them the data and you give them access to what they're looking for, you know, even if you slim it down, you don't give them you know, all 100 million rows of data, you slim it down. You say, here's 1,000, you know, 10,000 rows. Show me what you're trying to do. Let's, let's model it out. And then we'll go off and we'll, we'll build it out for you, give you, you know, all of the data and make it refreshable and all of that. That's where users are actually coming into play in this. Is yeah. you know, they're the ones who understand their data and what their bosses are looking for. We in the IT space, our job is to get them access to the right data, make it as easy as possible, and give them an interface that they can understand. And you know, for a long time, Excel has been that world that they've understood. You know, we teach my kids are learning Excel in grade school at this point. My son's about to start second grade, and they're going to be using computers and they're learning Excel this year. So yeah. you know, text may be a little advanced in that, I don't know, but you know, it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, and it's kind of joining data from other sources. So like the IP side of the house, the you know, IP addresses isn't a location, but they've bound a subset of data, which is we know these IP address ranges equals this country. And so he's given me like a geographical map that like, shows my audience my podcast based on that map. Mm -hmm. Again, there's not something I would easily be able to do, but if someone that's prepping the data uh, can go and do and then I can play with that data once it's there. Well, it's nice because we actually can mash some of that data up. There's a lot of stuff out in the Azure Data Marketplace at this point to be able to pull some of that information. For a long time, we are using something called DateStream, which is a free uh, data set out in the Azure Data Marketplace that allowed us to, you know, where you would go off and code up something in order to be able to do date slicing and, and actually date dimensions. It was out there, and it still is. It's, it's out there, and it's free. And I, I was actually having a conversation with John, and he brought it to my attention. His name is Matt Mason, M-A-S-S-O-N.com. He actually has creating a date dimension with a Power Query script now that we can actually go off and do a whole bunch of cool stuff. He's got a blog post out there. Hopefully, you'll link it in the show notes to be able to do that type of stuff. So there are lots of different ways for us to get this information in using the new you know, Power BI desktop and you know, 
Power Query under the hood to be able to go off and pull data from the right places and be able to mash it up and be able to show you, based upon relationships, how that stuff flies and how it flows. Um, being able to pull in you know, IP range by country out of the Azure Data Marketplace is pretty slick stuff. So, And to go back to your Texas comment and smart schools, <laughs> I think we should have a bit of a Twitter survey, Rich. For those people with kids, i.e. not me and not you, Rich, what, what age are they teaching Excel at school? I'd love to see the comparison between the States and Europe. I think Europe would probably, I don't know, let's see. So uh, hashtag Office365Dev, hashtag kids, hashtag Excel. And make a comment. You can mention us. We'll see which kids are being taught earliest on Excel because I'm pretty sure Texans can't be the smartest people in the room, that's for sure. Well, they are in this room, at least. I don't know wow. about any other room. Ouch. And, and, we, and we do Ouch. outnumber you, it's you know, true. Two, two to one here. So Yeah. So, Rich, you had a question as well. Uh, I was just going to say that, you know, the it was interesting. Um, you know, I, I ran into this a year ago. Um, I was uh, building a, a Power BI model, and I needed to generate a date dimension. And I... It was one of those cases where I'm like, let's see, you know, I talk about these office add-ins all the time. Let me see what sort of office add-ins there are. And sure enough, there was, you know, the uh, create a date dimension office add-in. It was right there in Excel, and, and it was a, a huge time saver for me um, at the time that we had, you know, add-ins that actually did that. So it was pretty cool. And you, you've played with this a lot, Rich. From a dev story, like, what, what, what else is there that can help? Or So as an ISV or someone who's building something, Web web base. What kind of SDKs or APIs are available that you think would be valuable on top of what Jason's just talked about? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the big thing is is you know I think Jason put it perfect that most users know their data. Um, however, as as developers, you know, we were taught early on, and we've kind of moved away from this, but we were taught early on that you want to like highly, highly normalize your data to minimize like duplication and make it more efficient in storage. When you normalize things and you start breaking things up into numerous tables, it makes it hard to model. You got to join all these tables together. So although these end users, they know their data really well, they, they don't necessarily know how we're storing it and how they can get it into a model that they can report against. So one of the key things I think we have that I think is a game changer in the Power BI space is we have REST endpoints that allow you to build a model and push data into the model. So you can basically, I've actually done this for a few things where I create little web wizards for someone to walk through pick like the columns and the information they're interested in and even maybe do an OAuth flow so it points to their cloud data. Uh, but in the end, it in a sense generates a, a model for them. And it, it's like, you know, self-service model from that standpoint. So I think I think that's that's one of the big, big ones that is, you know, providing those APIs to, to manage your data sets. And so do, do you think that's mainly from a, if, if I'm an add-in and I've got data in my own service and I want to be able to kind of throw data across the wire into a Power BI data set without the end user interacting or even the data scientist interacting, is that where you see that? Or Yeah, yeah it could be a number of things. It could be, you know, my organization has just a proprietary data source. We don't want users to even be able to see what's going on behind the scenes. And so we want to put a layer of abstraction where they can't see that. And so... This, this provides that mechanism. The other, I would say, huge developer component of this is that 
early Power BI, the visuals were driven by uh, largely by Silverlight. I, did I say the S word? On you did. The, I heard it. The podcast. It was like a Death March music in the background for that one. Yeah. So um, the the new Power BI is driven 100% by HTML5 and, and JavaScript. It actually uses some of the uh, data-driven documents, the d3.js libraries, where the first of all, the visualizations are amazing, but they work on any device. So that's why we already have mobile devices or mobile apps for Power BI. And we even have an extension model to where you can build your own Power BI chart. So that's another developer play here is, let's say you want some, I don't know, maybe you're from New Zealand and you raise sheep. And no offense to anyone in New Zealand, but maybe you <laughs> want to um, have a little chart that shows little kiwi sheep or something. Um, you could totally build that and and deliver it in inside of Power BI. So that's a a really great uh, capability extending that. And in the future, we're also looking to make it to where. I don't have to necessarily be in Power BI to see my visuals. So, you know, Jason mentioned kind of that concept of a, you know, bringing some of those visuals into like a uh, Office 365 group. Well, I, I might build my own product and and I might have visualization needs where I can I can leverage some of the Power BI extensibility to bring visuals into my application. And and from a Power BI perspective, it it is an additional thing in the Office 365 SKU. It's not, you don't get that with Office 365. So you have to sign up for it. Yeah. Uh, but there are two versions right now. Uh, and today is uh, August 18th, 2015. So the pricing today is, <laughs> <laughs> there. there's a, the free version, which is, uh, you know, viewing. And then there's a pay version, which is only $9.99 a month. It was much more expensive. I've been paying for that for years. That was the one thing that, uh, well, not the only thing that the MVP community begged for, but that we never got was uh, was Power BI because uh, I was paying $20 or $30 a month extra on top of E3 in order to have that. And now, uh, so there, there are different things, and there's uh, two different SKUs. There's a free version, which you can create, but I want to say the it's only a uh, Hundred million records or a million records you can update a day, and whereas the Power BI premium version, there's uh, there's more. Uh, okay. Don't quote me on that. I don't remember exactly what those numbers look like, yeah. but they're two different versions, free and ten dollars a month. So. so, so as an ISV or an enterprise dev, you just got to be aware of making sure that the customer has that lit up, not just assume that it's there as part of the the baseline e packages that Office three sixty five provides. But you got to it's a safe assumption that. You know, if your target market is someone who's interested in, in be using Power BI internally for their own use cases, and if you can add value over the top with additional things, then, you know, that's going to be really beneficial to customers. So, Rich, what have you built with this? Have you, I know you've got lots of funky demos on BI, but what have, what have you guys done? Um, so, you know, the first thing I did with this is somehow like a year and a half ago, I got roped into being like the Yammer BI guy. Uh, you totally, you, when we say roped in, it was like a Texan lasso that came from the offside stage and just kind of tightened so tightly you've not really got rid of it. Well, what it was is I built a couple of social apps. That I, I, I love data visualizations. Like, I just think it's cool looking at something that's not normally visual in a visual way. So, like... Um, early on, I took Yammer and said, well, this is a graph database. I want to view it as a graph where I can see all the connections. And so that's what I originally did. And Christoph, who was running the social marketing at the time, 
he gave me a session at one of the SharePoint conferences and he was like, hey, um, we already have a social app session. So will you do something on like data mining? Um, Yammer. And I was like, well, sure, but I'm going to use I'm going to use my developer know how on this. And so I basically just interrogated all their REST APIs and spit it into, you know, Power BI and, and did some charts. And um, so that's one of the primary things I've done is is created like a little web wizard you can go through and it'll you can just pick your own group um, instead of having to be like a network admin to see visuals. You can basically just be anyone and say, I want to go look and see how the you know, the Office 365 Patterns and Practices group um, is trending in Yammer. And it would go and, and pull some of those insights in. So it's been scenarios like that. And I've taken the same approach as I work with ISVs and saying, you know, you, you can spend all day trying to figure out what reports an organization might want. But, you know, the Power BI approach is let's build a good model for them. Yeah, yeah. You know, and how did you find it? I mean, obviously, you don't have a data science background. How did you find getting up to speed with massaging the data in, in a, a position where you'd be able to do it? Like you'd be able to do what you need to achieve in the chart? So I've actually done a lot of full stack BI work in the past. So I've... I, I worked with, you know, um, even like DTS back in the day and integration services and um, analysis services. I'll tell you what, you know, being a SQL guy, like trying to learn MDX back in the day, that was a struggle. Um, and so as soon as Power BI came out and I was like, this is like self-service cubes and like self-service ETL. Um, and it's done nothing but get better since then. You know, now I, I, I don't know anyone that, really still in, in like our modern BI stack does heavy lifting ETL. There's certainly ETL that still needs to be done. And in case people aren't don't know what I'm talking about, extract, transform, and load. So usually you're having to take data out of something, transform it in some way, maybe aggregate it, and then load it into a, a more pure form. Um, that's something you had to do a lot of back in the in like previous years and you don't really have to do that quite as much these days it's there's still some but you know the the tools have really caught up to where we don't have to do as much so to me it was super easy to pick this stuff up because i did the rocket science way before yeah, all the etl stuff is being done pretty uh seamlessly in in the tooling now it's really nice i do a decent amount of, uh, of transform of the data that i play with but it's click click transformed and that's it it's right there and it visualizes for me perfectly which i want i want to throw something out there real quick because i led people down the wrong path want to make sure that i said this uh power bi is free the uh power bi pro is the ten dollar per user per month uh and the data capacity is a gig per user on the free side 10 gigs on the uh, pay side and you can refresh daily on the free side hourly on the pro side so sorry i just want to make sure i threw that out there and wasn't wrong on your podcast because that would be a tragedy i, I tend to avoid licensing at all costs and you know, make the field answer those questions because it just changes so often it's just not something i keep track of yeah but i'm sitting in front of a computer and i was able to hit the google bing and do it so <laughs> the google bing the blinged it so rich like did you open source any of those samples you've got a few blog posts and stuff on these things haven't you surely i do um so i i have a I have a blog post on connecting the Power BI APIs. In fact, that sample was, um, we did some refactoring of it, and it's actually the official MSDN oh, wow. guidance on it. So they took my uh, Power BI uh, API controller or web API controller, and that's the official guidance out there. 
Um, there's more samples out there. They actually, if you go out to Power BI at the bottom, there's a developer link and uh, they have native app samples, web app samples, and they have, and, and there's still room to go with the APIs. So, you know, one of my biggest complaints is today I can't create like calculated columns, which would equate to like a calculated measure or a DAX formula in, in a normal Power BI scenario. But, you know, we're, we're moving this train fast. So, you know, those types of things will come very, fairly quickly. Yeah, it's an area that we've got to, I think, from a dev.office.com perspective, as we kind of go forward is really kind of work out how we can get add-ins and um, especially standalone web applications that you launch from the app launcher kind of embedding these Power BI components, I guess is the best way to put it, into their applications. I think there's some some huge value there as that stuff starts coming around too. Cool. Well, I, hopefully that's kind of given people enough of an appetite to jump away and have a look at those samples. And um, we'll um, all, I'm just kind of, as I'm talking here, typing up the show notes with those links that everyone's just mentioned there. Again, if you've got questions for other shows, uh, please jump into our Yammer group. The Yammer group is linked in the show notes of every show that we do. If you've got ideas um, around um, other topics or people you'd like on the show, um, please please let us know. Uh, big thanks to Jason for carving out part of his working day to give his opinion on Power BI. So big thanks. And okay. thanks, Rich, for jumping on in uh, over Skype. Yep. And um, hashtag away, guys. We have got some more swag. So hashtag office 365 hashtag swag i've got a channel in my tweet deck when i see you popping up all i need is your address to ship you the stuff and we're good to go so um hope you guys are enjoying the show enjoy the rest of your week and we'll speak to you next week thanks for listening guys and girls make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources you can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one year three developer tenant to stop building against the office 365 platform we're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 Technical Network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding.